people are gonna think I'm so fucking weird, but I just want to be like UFOs. I'm going right into Roswell. I'm gonna fucking yes. see a UFO. I want to see Area 51, even though I know we're not allowed to like fly over it. Maybe I can get like close enough to it. Feel Area the energy. Area 51 is um, in Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? You don't ruin my fucking dreams, okay? <laughs> You're not going that far. Um, but if you do, uh, if you're interested, you know, while you're in the plane, try and get a window seat maybe uh, so you can look down into the terrain. Uh, if you look ahead of time to see where the Roswell UFO crash site is, maybe you can look out for it. Smart. Oh, yes. Now now I know what I'm going to do with my free time before I get on the airplane. Yeah. Either on the way in or on the way out, depending. Who knows? Oh, it's going to happen. I really, because the last story I heard on a plane ended badly for the person that was in the window seat. So, like, I'm kind of nervous to sit in a window seat now. But it used to be my favorite spot as a child. Mm. I like the aisles now. I um, do like the aisles now. I feel like it's just a little more roomy and mm-hmm. and you get uh, to you get, to get off get up, right it's away. Easier. Yeah. yeah, like I as a, I think the older you get, the more you appreciate being right in the aisle side. But as a child, like no window seat all the fucking way. Hell yeah. But then I heard about a woman getting sucked out of a window and I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) so no longer am I doing that. I I don't want to. No. Yeah. I like um, sitting in the very first row, too, because there's more leg room. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't get a table tray, which sucks, but, and you can't have your bag down there. Yeah, Um, you have to put it overhead. But... If it's, like, a shorter flight or, you know, even a longer one, like, more leg room all the way. I, the thing that I am most excited about is taking my little mini Tito's into the airport and making myself a big fat drink to help me and knock the fuck out before I get on that plane. Because, uh, also, the older I get, the more terrified of flying I'm becoming. Oh No. I, it's the thought that, like, um, if something goes wrong up there... There's nothing. It's out of my control. There is nothing that I can do. Whereas if I'm on land, I feel like maybe I have a bit more, like, dominance over it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I could actually, like, maybe move. Uh, (laughs) But up up there, you're just, like, stuck. You're just, like, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Um, I would would rather be But just think about how there's also, you know... People are trained in precautions, and yeah. But if the fun, if the plane blows up, there's no training in the world. That's anything is gonna do to stop that. You're just you're just dust in the wind. <laughs> Nothing. But Maybe dust indulge in, the wind. in um, some safety tips for yourself. Yes, drink a shit ton of vodka and maybe eat an <laughs> edible before you get on the pit plane. Welcome to the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast, guys. The podcast where we talk about murder, mystery, mishaps, and safety plane tips. Tips to get you from point A to point B on a plane in style. My name is Kristen. 
My name is Sarah. Oh. <laughs> Halloween is upon us. It is. I know. It's Hollow Week. Hollow, all Hallows Week. Oh my God. And like T minus fucking four days until I see you. Not even. Like I think three. Three. Literally. Two and a half. Oh three. I'm, I'm sweating. The water is gushing out of my armpits. I'm so excited. Oh my God. I am so excited. I can't wait. I don't think anyone cares but uh us but i'm ready i know i am i'm just so excited to like clean and get everything ready and And i'm just so excited to go over there and mess everything up it's gonna be great (laughs) have you come and have a good time have a good time try to at least get like some photo content for you guys or some fun like maybe some tiktoks i don't know we're gonna do something up there okay we'll be semi-productive uh just don't don't expect it to be a hundred percent because no way no how (laughs) yeah we plan on doing a special halloween episode yes Uh, we want to have that out on halloween for you guys hope that is the plan we have you know had we had a little meeting beforehand where we (laughs) We're giving ourselves some deadlines. We're giving ourselves some thoughts of what our the episodes could be like. So fingers crossed you're going to get it on Sunday. But we're going to work really hard to do that for y'all because that is going to be our little treat. And yeah, we're excited. Yeah. Just a good week in general. It's a Bones Day every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or it should be. At uh. least it should be. This week, I'm going to make it because last week, it was no Bones all day, every day. So because <laughs> of that, I am drinking my fancy uh, pink Tito's soda. It's very Yum. lovely. Mm. Yum. I have a watermelon white claw. it goes with the theme of pink but i don't know man i mean i love watermelon i think that's why i can't have it with vodka though because you know i don't really love grapefruit in real life but i love grapefruit vodka so maybe you know that's how my Hmm. taste buds correlate yeah we'll see whatever i don't mind it i don't i don't mind any of them and it's whatever yeah, but so <laughs> I'm not picky. <laughs> Anywho, so yeah, so our schedule's a little different this week. Sorry, it's a Wednesday, and then Sarah's when. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Wait, is today Wednesday? No, it's You're, Tuesday. It's Tuesday, but this is coming out on a Wednesday because oh, in yeah. <laughs> pure mishap fashion, like we needed a few extra days to get ready for this Halloween week. So. This is coming out on a Wednesday. Sarah's is going to come out on Friday. And then hopefully we have that Halloween one out by Halloween day, Sunday. Oh, my God. But, yeah. Until then, are you ready to get real fucked up and hear some real crazy shit that humans used to do? Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah. Take me back. I'm taking you way back, man. And be thankful that you were born in the century that you were born in. Because today, in true Halloween fashion, I thought that we would talk about the inspiration behind the character that we know as Dracula or in human version Vlad the Impaler Tepes my boy Vlad Tepish Tepes or something like that but yeah uh he's 
He's bad. He's actually a pretty bad dude. I um, I mean, I knew a little bit. I did not know th- to this extent. And, you know, there's even a fact in here that I don't think I can even say. And <gasps> if you, I'm going to have to say you might have to look up that story because it okay, changed well, me. You for, can say it for me. Yeah, I'll say it for you. It changed <laughs> me for a second. It's literally on the bullet point. It's like, ask Sarah if it's okay to say on the podcast because <laughs> it fucked me up so I think I'm gonna skip over it but yeah he's a bad dude but um Probably shall we just uh to ask but I know right because you're like Leave it. I'm just but, gonna say yeah say it say it say it to fuck everyone up uh, so a lot of horror fanatics horror fanatics maybe might know that um the novel Dracula that was made by Bram Stoker in I believe like 1890 something I do not remember the date like 91 something like that 97 was actually based on a real person and so it's a little bit of like a drunk mystery and history that would have been way too long so I'm gonna make it into an episode so bear with me we're gonna go through a little bit of history but it is a really really good story so we are going to transport ourselves back, way back when, to like mid-15th century, to an Ooh. area in Balkans named Wallachia. And it's a fucking episode that happens mainly in Transylvania, so you already know I'm going to say a lot of wrong names. I'm going to say <laughs> it how I say it. If it is wrong, sorry. I did my best, okay? So this character that is based off Dracula is born... It's kind of iffy. I've honestly gotten different years, but the closest that I could get was November or December of 1431. So, like, don't ask me for a zodiac sign. I don't know. But we <laughs> do know that he was born in a town called Sayasora, uh, <laughs> Romania. He was the second born out of four brothers, and he was born into a pretty noble family. Like, his, his parents were up there. So I believe his mom was like even a princess or some sort of some royal Moldavian family. And his father came from his own line, though at the time that Vlad III was born, his father was currently living in exile. And I will get into a little bit of detail about that a little later on. So Mm. his father at the time was fighting the Turks and he had actually been on this really... um, prestigious covenant that was called the order of the dragons the order was created by the king of hungary who turned into a holy roman emperor and his name was sigismund 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 and the order was made in order to defend the enemies of christianity so they would fight basically anyone who's opposing the church that ran europe throughout the time And the main threat to Europe and essentially the Order of the Dragon was the Ottoman Empire, who was the Muslim community coming in to basically try and conquer Europe during that time. And this is actually where the Sobrequet, which I know I said wrong, but look it up and ask Google how to say it. If you want to be really douchey in front of your friends, this is like a really fancy way to say a nickname. But the Sobrequet of Dracula actually derives from this. So people would actually call Vlad's father Vlad Dracul 
Oh. And basically they did this because the word for dragon in Romania is drac, but it also can mean the devil, which like comes obviously into play later on when you hear the shit that his son does. <laughs> and the ul is the definitive article, which I like, I'm sorry, I'm fucking stupid. Don't ask me what that is. But it's just like <laughs> the definitive article. So it's that. <laughs> it's it's just that. It's that. So uh, and the eula and Dracula would come from the Romanian ending. Sorry. <laughs> I drank a little too fast. I should have stopped because now I can't read. <laughs> and for his son Dracula, the Romanian ending Eula would mean the son of. So the Drac, the Yule, and the uh would mean that Vlad the Third was, you know, the son of of Dracul, Vlad the Second, his uh, father. Uh-huh. Very interesting stuff. Dracul. Very Dracul. Yeah. Dracul. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, like, uh, Vlad the Second doesn't become Vlad the Second until he, like, well, we'll get into it. But, yeah, so it, a little bit of his more history into this because you need to understand the historical background to kind of understand, like, why everything got so fucked up. So here we go. I'm going to try my best. Please, I'm tipsy, and uh, I also am not a history major. Don't come at me. So <laughs> when his family would move to a place called Taragovist, Wallachia, in 1436, his father would assume a leadership role in the community. Now, the Wallachia is a region in the Balkans, which is present-day southern Romania, so I'm saying a lot of places that, like, you're going to be like, I've never heard of that. It's because they're, they're just not called that anymore. You know, like, mm. time happened. But yeah. it's southern <laughs> Romania today. Wallachia was originally founded in 2090 by a man named Radu Nigor. He was also known as Rudolf the Black. And it was dominated by Hungary until 1330, which at that point it basically became independent. And so the first ruler of this new independent com- country was named Prince Barasab the Great. And he was actually an ancestor of Vlad Dracula. So that's kind of like where Vlad Dracula got his noble beginnings, how the family got their noble v- beginnings. And it would even turn out that Vlad's grandfather, the Prince Mirka the Old, had reigned Wallachia from 1386 all the way until 1418. But unfortunately, the Wallachia area lays right in the middle of the Hungarian and the Ottoman Empire territories. So there's like a lot of tension in this area. And, you know, Wallachia is independent. So you have these two empires coming at them, basically trying to like take over this small independent town. And so the Wallachia, the leaders of Wallachia would often be forced to make alliances with the two empires from time to time. Like they would switch back and forth with, I guess, whoever was like in more power so that they could survive. Like they would form treaties or alliances. They would like help them do shit basically so they could stay independent, you know, like mm-hmm. pure political back in the day shit. So another it's fun, right? So historical. <laughs> but another thing about Wallachia was that um 
because I'm about to say some more words I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> so another thing about Wallachia was that it was not uh, how it was kind of like um, progressive for the time, question mark, because I don't know when you hear the consequences. So it's not like a regular kind of royal family where it's under the law of primogeniture, which is where your legitimate firstborn would inherit the crown. It was actually to where the boyers, which are known as wealthy land-owning noblemen, had the right to elect the vaivode or the prince among various members of the royal family. So you could basically Mm. have like an election almost. Like you had a lot of members of the royal family that you could pick out of and they would have these boyers or the noblemen like elect who they wanted to lead. And so you're like, damn, that's really like modern of them like that's kind of cool like wow until you hear that it actually leads to a shit ton of violence and like everyone just tries to assassinate each other in order to get the throne (laughs) so you're like oh so okay unorganized Uh, it's unorganized modern is um chaos they were on the right track they had it (laughs) but the law wasn't in place you know it it was you could really just kill anyone back then no one really got in trouble you know like murder wasn't a law yeah 1400 shit like oh my god thank god we live where we live now anywho (laughs) so um a fun fact not so fun fact this is actually how dracula's father vlad dracul becomes vlad the second and comes into power dracul had actually been elected governor by a king named sigismund but he was the king of Transylvania, not of Wallachia, because, like I had said, the father had been banished to Transylvania at the time. Yeah. Though I uh, I don't ever really find out why, but sorry. I said I would get into it, but I never did. He was just banished there for some <laughs> weird reason. <laughs> um, I know that the family did, like, um, separate into multiple divisions. And so when they separated, if a f- another family member went into power, sometimes a lo- the other family members would have to flee out of fear that, like, they would be killed. So it's probably something like that, if I had to make uh, an educated guess. You know what I mean? Yeah, sounds right. Um, But either way, he befriends the King Sigismund of Transylvania and actually becomes his governor in oh. 1431. Oh, and sorry, this is a region that is northwest of Wallachia. So, like, pretty close by, but not the Wallachia region. So this happens in 1431. And as soon as that happens, Vlad discovers that, you know what, I actually don't like being governor and I kind of want to be king. And so he starts to plot. And in 1436, he is able to assume the throne after successfully assassinating the king. I don't want to be king. Yeah. But like (laughs) once he takes the position, he's like, oh, this may be kind of like harder than I thought because the Prince of Wallachia has officially aligned with the King of Hungary and they're both going against the Ottoman Empire. And you have to understand that Vlad II is still in the Order of the Dragon at the time that he assumed the throne. So technically he should be aligned with the King of Hungary and the Prince of Wallachia because they are fighting against the Ottoman Empire. But, you, for those who don't know, because I didn't, the Ottoman Empire is kicking ass. Oh. And at the same time, Vlad wants to stay neutral. He doesn't want to pick a side. 
But because the Ottoman Empire is kicking ass, he ends up being forced to pay tributes and actually has to like align treaties just like the previous kings before him. So he's finding himself in not a neutral term. He's having to form these alliances, pick one side over the other. What he wanted to do as king isn't really happening because he didn't expect all of these, I guess, consequences of him becoming a king and taking on all of these like uh, tensions between other regions that he probably didn't know about, even mm. though he was governor. Yeah. Careful what you wish for, buddy. Mm hmm. And in 1442, you had another instance where Vlad II failed to stay neutral when the Turks had invaded Transylvania and he had no other choice but to kind of align with them so he wouldn't get demolished. And you had the Hungarians who were under the man of a name of a man named John Hanyadi. When he saw that Vlad II had kind of sided with the Turks, he got really pissed off that Dracula did not align with them, did not fulfill his orders with the Order of the Dragon, and decided he was going to banish him from Wallachia. <coughs> and so John, or and so Vlad II would like have to retreat and go out and basically like try and find a way to get his uh, revenge. Hmm. He would get it though when in 1443 he would regain the Wallachia throne using the help of the Turks after he had formed that alliance with them. Nice. This would come at a price to Vlad Dracul, though, at the hands of the Turks, and he would be forced to send his sons to the Janissaries, which is basically like the infantry or the guards of the Ottoman Empire, in order to show his devotion to the Ottoman Empire. Because, you know, he had been in the Order of the Dragons. He had been fighting against the Ottoman Empire. So now that he's asking for their that empire's help, the Sultan, uh, Murad II, wanted him to show that he would be devoted to him and he wouldn't essentially double-cross him. So he made Vlad send all of his sons over to be guards for them for a year. And hmm. after that year was up, the Sultan Murad II would take it even a step further. And in 1444, he would actually force Vlad II to send Vlad III, which is Dracula, and his younger brother, Raoud the Handsome, which I'm sorry, I do not get a painting of him. I don't know why they call him that, but I'm sure he was handsome. <laughs> But they send them to Andrianople, and they're basically held as hostages. And when this oh. happens, Vlad is only 13. <gasps> mm -hmm. Oh, no. So later that year, the Hungary Empire would actually launch the Verona campaign. And this was led by John Hyundai. And it was a big effort to push the Turks out of Europe. So John would go to Dracul and tell him, you need to fulfill your oath that you made to the Order of the Dragon all those years ago. Like, you would not be where you are if it wasn't for us. You need to help us drive the Turks out of this area. Which I'm just like, talk about drama. Talk about, yeah. like, Netflix needs to pick this up and make this a series <sighs> because this is the season finale of the Hell first season. Yeah. Because... <gasps> Ultimately, Dracul, because you have to think, like, he has sons under the Ottoman Empire right now. So if he were to go and fight under the Order of the Dragon, Dracula and uh, Radu the Handsome would be killed automatically. 
mm-hmm. in retaliation for him like going across. So what Dracul decides to do and or and attempts to try and keep the middle ground is just send his oldest son named Marcia to join the Christian forces, hoping that, you know, if the Ottoman Sultan saw that his older son was fighting and not Dracul, that he would spare the lives of his younger sons. Yeah. The article that I was reading told me that the results of this uh, Verona crusade are well known, which, uh, lol, because I didn't know anything about this, but (laughs) apparently the Christians got their ass whooped. Like, they demolished, utterly destroyed in the Battle of Verona, though... (laughs) The leader, John Hyundai, like this little cockroach manages to like survive and live another day. (laughs) But from that day on, as soon as John, I guess, heals because he got he did get injured pretty badly. He ends up having this big, huge resentment towards Dracul and his eldest son. And it got so bad to the point where in 1447, John would help a coup be formed and the local warlords would actually assassinate Dracul along with his son, Mirka. Oh. The rumor is that his son, Mirka, Mircea, I'm so sorry, I'm saying it wrong, was tortured, blinded, and then buried alive. (gasps) Oh, damn. So, like, a really... Not a great way to go. Vlad the Third does get his revenge, if anyone was wondering. <laughs> we'll find out how in a bit. So as soon as Vlad the Second is assassinated, John would place a member of the Dynasty clan to rule Wallachia. And once the news of their father and brother's death had broke out, the Turks decided that that time, like, that really sucks. You know, like, we're going to release you. So uh, Vlad the Third with the newfound support of the Turks, would set out to Wallachia to seize the throne. And Vlad III actually successfully did that in 1448 at the mere age of 17. And once that happens, he officially starts going by the name Vlad Dracula, which I'm like, that's the season two opener, Netflix, baby, (laughs) hit me up. I got a good ass show for you. Oh, my God. Like, goosebumps. Oh, I mean, he don't feel good for him. He turns out to be a dickwad. But, I mean, it's just a great come up story. You got to appreciate it. At what, 17? Yeah. I mean, grand entrance. You you learn, you know, later on, it's just the the way that these people live just turns them violent. And once you stop the murder, I think people become less violent in the world. So thankfully we <laughs> established that law, but yeah, these times are really fucked up. <laughs> so <laughs> his younger to brother, Raoud, would actually end up staying in Turkey. And at some point they do end up like fighting, like him and his younger brother end up fighting for the Wallachia throne. And I know after... Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. it's like a yeah his brother ends up getting the throne for a little bit but then ends up dying but it's like they don't ever really fight for it they kind of end up being rulers at different times oh they take turns <laughs> yeah just slightly 
So the season ender for this would be that within just two months of him claiming the throne, you know, Vlad Dracula would have to be forced to surrender his throne. Ah. And he, it would be under John Hyandi's force. And because of this, uh, and because his throne was dismantled, he had no other choice but to flee to his cousin, the Prince of uh, Moldavi, Moldavia. Now, the reason that John went for the throne of Wallachia was, I guess, because obviously he didn't like uh, Vlad's, Dracula's dad, Vlad II. And so he thought that, I guess, he could just get someone to do a better job for it. But it kind of ends up biting him in the butt because the dude that John picks to be Dracula's successor, as soon as he becomes king, he starts to institute some pro-Turkish policies, which John is like, oh my God, how could you? My poor Christian soul. And so he goes crawling back to Dracula and he's like please 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 come back because at least your dad was like a Christian you know and he's yeah. not, he wouldn't he would have never instituted these Turkish policies so Dracula's like fine okay I'll help you get the throne back and he decides to lie underweight under Hyundai's protection until 1453 when a very unexpected plot twist in history occurs and the con Constantinople falls to the Ottoman Empire which ah. to those of us who don't know history like myself it's a really big deal because the constant the Constantinople is seen as like the most powerful line of defense that Christian Europe had so when it fell it was almost like you're gonna lose the war pretty oh, much shit. is like how they're saying it it is a yeah. huge huge like down it's a huge loss for them it's the biggest yeah. loss that they could probably take Fuck. and as soon as the constant the constant oh, say that five times fast <laughs> as soon as the constantinople fell the ottoman empire quickly took over a shit ton of regions mm. and so as soon as it fell like they kind of a lot of battles started occurring and in 1456 john would invade turkish siberia turkish siberia while Vlad II would finally enter his battle and take his hand at the Wallachia throne. Mm. So unfortunately for John, him and his army would perish at the Battle of Belgrade. But thankfully for Vlad III, just like his father, he was able to successfully assassinate <laughs> Vladislav II and take the Wallachia throne for good. Huh. There was a little rumor that went around, just like Ooh. any good battle, that Dracula was the one to personally behead his rival, Vladislav II, <laughs> the king of Wallachia, <laughs> on the battlefield. But yeah, nice, little, nice little start. Yeah. And so begins his reign, season three, from the span <laughs> of 1456 to 1462, but, like, this is where it takes a fucking evil, sinister turn. Yeah. And the real terror of the land just, like, truly fucking begins. Hell yeah. He begins by establishing Trigovist as his capital city, and he decides that he is going to build a castle in the mountains near the Argus River, and... This area is where a lot of his most famous atrocities would take place. Oh. 
a lot of people are theorizing that it was the tragedies that happened against Dracula's family and their horrific demise that brought him to become Vlad the Impaler, or as he would be known uh, to the people as Vlad Tepes. But a lot of other people speculate that it was actually because of his time that he was being held as a hostage by the Ottoman Empire that Dracula you know, was subjected to countless beatings or methods of torture. And there's actually a rumor that Vlad learned his methods of torture while he was being subjected to it by the Ottoman Empire. Uh, Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) Because for those who do not know who Vlad Tepes is, he is best known for killing anywhere to 40,000 to even a hundred thousand or more human Holy beings. shit. And I'm telling you, like, th- these numbers are all over the place. In one article, I saw 20,000. But then you find out, like, in another article that in one battle, he kills more than that. So, oh, shit. It's a big what the fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. All caps, and his, WTF. His favorite method of doing so was by impaling them um which i'm going to get into exquisite detail about so if you cannot handle that type of deal you know this is where we part ways this is where we say adios i love you see you next time leave five stars and give us a follow but yeah i'm sticking around let's get into that shit because it is a lot to digest i even hate saying that (laughs) anywho we'll find out why now Vlad Dracula officially has his throne back open of season three. And the position definitely comes with some new enemies. So, though John is finally gone and, you know, you don't have this threat that he used to have, a lot of people in Wallachia considered the old king, Vladislav II, to be a better ruler than Vlad Mm. III was. And because of this, quite a few uprisings began in the village as soon as Vlad took his throne. Mm -hmm. So now he's in this kind of position where he's like, okay, I need to assert my dominance. I need to lay my peepee out on the table and show everyone (laughs) that I have the biggest one, you know? So he decides that he's going to host a banquet and he's going to invite Everyone who openly opposes them, as well as their families. Sounds fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vlad set up this feast knowing that a lot of these people not only opposed him, but knew that they had been part of the reason why his brother and father were assassinated. And it was during this feast that Vlad would ask everyone around, how many princes have ruled during your lifetimes as noblemen? It was after he asked this that I'm sure the noblemen looked around confused and they were like, what the fuck? And then Vlad goes, arrest them. And then the older boyers, as well as the family, would be taken off to the side and be impaled on the spot. Oh, shit. Vlad Do you know what then... he used to impale him with? I'll get into that. Okay. A okay. little bit later on. Cool. Mm-hmm. Just wait. I, I want to, because, um yeah, it's just a lot. So we'll, we'll get into it. Don't worry. Vlad would then make the healthier and younger noblemen march from the north of Trigovist, which is the capital that 
uh, Dracula had made all the way to the ruins of his castle in the mountains above the Argus River. And from there, he would enslave them and force them to do the labor of rebuilding his castle with the materials from the ruin nearby. Damn. It's reported that these people would work until their clothes literally fell off of their bodies. Ah. And from then, they would be uh, forced to continue to work while naked. Oh. And it's also said that very few survived this ordeal. And I guess if you, like, live to make the castle, then I guess he let them go, which is actually very nice of him, considering... very nice. uh, Yeah. Considering probably not a lot survived. Yeah. Considering that, like, he kills everyone, like, that's actually very nice that he let them... He probably made that deal not expecting anyone to survive, and then, like, a few did, and he was like, fuck it. Yeah. Like, at least there's that, I guess. (laughs) Um, Now, you would think is like you know a man of god when you start hearing that your king is doing all of this stuff you know it might be offensive to the church like maybe we shouldn't (laughs) do that yeah but we have to remember there's a bigger enemy out there and that's the muslim ottoman forces so for this reason the church uh, the church would actually praise dracula for his brutality And later on, you would even get the Pope, Pius II, to express his admiration for the violent ruler's military feats. Oh. And if you look at art throughout the Middle Ages, I'll try and find some to post on Insta or Twitter or whatever. Um, But you can actually see a lot of, like, Vlad's methods of torture being depicted throughout the art. Because it just, like, spread throughout Europe, you know? Yeah. Kind of cool. Kind of cool, kind of concerning. It just adds to the realism, you know? <laughs> yep. Um. Yeah, but, like, no means am I trying to say that, you know, what Vlad the Impaler did was good, but if you look at what's going on from a historical context from the side of the Christians, <sighs> before Vlad the Third became ruler, the Christians were like, they were going to lose Europe. It was yeah. going to happen. They were being absolutely crushed to smithereens. Like, they were, they were losing everything. She was desperate. She was desperate and <laughs> did not care about the red flags that were popping up. So when Mr. <laughs> Im- when Mr. Tall, Dark, and Impaler steps in yeah. and says, oh, I'm mighty and I'm powerful. I'm actually winning some of these fights. And, like, as you go on to learn, like, actually scaring the fucking sultan of the Ottoman Empire... <laughs> They're like, oh, okay, I guess that's cool. Like, that's neat. I'll let you pass. (laughs) So a lot of people are like, yeah, we actually, like, need this out of political necessity because when Vlad became a ruler, there was actually, like, some stability that happened across the region. Oh. Though it was not necessarily peaceful. Just throwing (laughs) that out there. (laughs) But, um... Because, you know, so during one of his very successful campaigns, I might add, he would write to one of his allies in 1462 that I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young, who have lived at Obolitska and Novoselo, where the Danube flows into the sea. We killed 23,884 Turks, without counting those who we burned in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut by our soldiers. Thus, your highness, you must know I have broken the peace. 
my it job. Had, yeah. <laughs> Gold star. <laughs> it would become so bad that the Turks would give him the nickname Kazikul Bey, which means impaling prince. So now a little it. bit about the impaling process. Ooh, yes. Okay. <sighs> so here's where you really want to skip if you are squeamish. Okay. Here. Give you a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Vlad would usually have a horse attached to each of his victim's legs. And from there, he would either use metal or wooden, a pole that would be oiled up and then jabbed through the body, starting at either the rectum or the vagina, and then would slowly be pierced through the body until it came out of the victim's mouth, shoulders, or neck. They tried to get it through the mouth, but sometimes it came out other ways. Yeah. Oh, shit. They would also... Not, they would round the ends of the stake to make sure that their victims would not be killed right away. Oh my God. And so by rounding it, they made sure that as it moved up, it would not puncture any internal organs. Right. And because they did this, victims were able to stay alive for hours <gasps> or even days oh, no. after they were impaled. There are other instances where the victims would be impaled through other orifices so that they would be hung upside down as they were being impaled. Or sometimes they would simply be impaled through the abdomen or chest. Hmm. And often the height of the pole that they were impaled on would indicate the rank of the victim. Oh. Another thing that Vlad Tepes was known for popularly doing with these poor souls is leaving them out for public display for Ah. others to watch, you know, as they took hours or days to die. Not cool. And they would be left there for months. So (gasps) well after death. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Vlad would also use them as fucking art projects um so he would be said to lay out stakes in geometric patterns but the most common would be a ring of concentric circles in the outskirts of the city that was his next target (gasps) i would fucking kill myself if i saw those circles outside of my village i am not about to like live through that process could you imagine imagine seeing that out of i literally died when i read that i took a second for my soul to come back Mm -hmm, the goosies for sure you're playing with your food sir that's not like those uh, how did the village not escape sorry I know. I don't know I why know. it made me think of the human centipede. <laughs> oh my god! And I've there. I don't know why. I think there was this one article that I read about like one of the noblemen that was um had to do with like his 
father's assassination, he did something like that, like a human centipede uh. on a stake. I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like I read something like that. Don't quote me on that. But, um, oh, and uh, speaking of a cat playing with its food, so like um, there would be paintings of Vlad Dracula feasting alongside his impaled victims while his executioner cuts apart the other victims because there are other forms of torture that we will get into. And it even goes a step further because apparently homeboy liked to fucking dip his bread in the victim's blood and then eat it. Like actual bread? Yes. In actual, like the... You know, I prefer a white cream and pepper gravy myself, but... I prefer some olive oil and some, like, Italian seasoning. Mm, Yeah. (sighs) A little balsamic action. Oh, yeah. Find me an Italian who can make me some good bread. (laughs) Not from Transylvania, though. Uh Uh-uh. Um, so yeah, so I had mentioned previously that, you know, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire had even been scared by him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was because, so when they were going to battle and Sultan was with his army, Mohammed II would look out. And like, I'm not trying to downplay this Sultan. Like, he is also a bad dude because the Ottoman Empire, like, did you know like kill a lot of people you know like war is never good mm-hmm. both sides are like not doing good shit but like right he was also a pretty good like torturer whatnot oh pretty good torture <laughs> he was good at torturing <laughs> he, he was like you know he was a pretty brutal dude like he was not like you know a little teddy bear he was pretty hard <laughs> but when he saw the impaled corpses of his men that surrounded the capital of Terragovost in 1462, he straight up turned and ran away. And that's because the line of impaled corpses of his men is said to go as far as 60 miles. Huh? For our European listeners, 97 kilometers, I believe, if I did that Holy right. shit. Uh, yeah. It was roughly estimated to be about 23,000 men. Oh. And this, in history, would become known as the Forest of the Impaled because Ooh. they were left there for months. Ugh. Eek. I just can't. This actually happened on planet Earth where we're standing. This is not a fairy tale that I'm reading. So, yeah, as soon as Mohammed II saw the 60 miles, like, couldn't even probably see the end of the first mile, he said that any man who would go through these lengths to defend his estate, like, is not one to be messed with. And so, yeah, he, like, left. He was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, Bye. this is crazy even for me. I'm not dealing with that. And Shit. this happened, like, on more than one occasion. <laughs> so, on 14, in 1459, on St. Bartholomew's Day, Vlad III would have 30,000 
merchants and boyers of a Transylvanian city called Barazv impaled. Holy shit. That's and, a lot of uh, sticks. Stakes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Both metal and wooden. It's a lot. In 1460, he would have another 10,000 left impaled in a Transylvanian city of Sibui. And if impaling wasn't enough, he was said to have used other methods. So a really famous or like well-documented story that I kept coming across was when a group of Ottoman diplomats refused to take off their turbans, you know, for religious reasons. Vlad III would have them nailed to their head. Uh, He would also do things such as strangulation. He would blind them, burn them, often cases burning them completely alive. Would use mutilation such as cutting off noses, ears, or sexual organs, which uh, we do find out a little later on that he is particularly fond of doing with women. He also likes to scalp or skin his victims, leave them exposed to the elements or in places where wild animals are known to roam. And as you find out, he does not give a fuck who you are. He doesn't care about your age, your position, your sex. Like, does if you're with Wallachia, against Wallachia, like, it doesn't matter who you are. He will come at you if he does not like you. Ugh. So it's, like, really surprising if you hear anyone ever surviving Yikes. So you would find that a lot of the violence that he did commit, though, was turned towards merchants or boyers around Transylvania and Wallachia, the area that he ruled. And a lot of people would say that he would get some kind of like perverted pleasure off of this. You find in Wallachia. I was going to ask. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh He gets super turned on by this, apparently. Mm. No. I just, yeah. The feast, in the art that depicts his feast, he looks very excited to be <laughs> sitting there. So, Imagine it being a live painting, too. Like, the oh, artist is on site. Like I can't. Like, you could not pay me enough money to make that. I'm sorry. What the fuck? But I that's mean, how if a lot of paintings were done back then. If you didn't paint it, you'd end up on that skewer. And like that's I like literally that's what he, how he ruled his town. So he, like I had mentioned, was particularly oh, concerned with the women of Wallachia and how they like carried themselves. So he wanted them to, of course, like any man, remain chaste. You can't do anything. So if you lost your virginity outside of marriage, if you were adulterous or unchaste, a widow, you were fair game to be impaled or oh my god oh no imagine your spouse dying and you're like well shit (laughs) yeah like i'm (laughs) fucked there's one story that i did find of an unfaithful wife that vlad had skinned he also had her breast cut off and then he impaled her and put her right in the middle of the town square in trigovest and left her skin lying on a table nearby (gasps) Mm-hmm. <sighs> misogynistic asshole <sighs> he also hated the poor and the sick what a great a guy oh, so lovely there's a story where he invites all of the poor into his castle and all of the sick and this is under the guise that no one in my country 
no one in my land should go hun- hungry. And so they, it was a huge feast. It was a huge celebration. And while the people sat, ate and drank and were merry, Vlad had his men close the dining hall and set it ablaze. <sighs> and no one escaped. Oh, man. He also wanted people, though, to be really honest and hardworking. Oh, of course. Good community values. Yes. So if you were anything like an unfair merchant or if you were like a thief that came into the town and stole something, you would be impaled and left in the middle of the square. Got the whole town walking on eggshells. Well, it, it it was really effective. <laughs> <laughs> so there there's a tale that there like Vlad would leave a laced golden cup in the center of the square, probably like next where all these bodies are being impaled. And while he reigned, I mean like no one stole it. Oh so my god. It, it did work. <laughs> and so it just sat there as a test for like anyone yeah. to fucking fucking fuck he did fuck with him he did that he did a he did that a lot like there are stories that i don't even put in here of there's one people up yeah or he'll like ask um so there's this one merchant that comes into town and he has like 16 devets or i don't even know what they're called but he has them in his cart and they're gold or something and they get stolen and so he goes to Vlad and he tells him, like, yo, my cart of 16 devets just got stolen. Like, what the hell? And so Vlad plays a trick on him and he gets Vlad's own gold and puts it in the cart. But he puts 17 devets. And so when the merchant goes and sees his gold, he's like, oh, cool. But then he counts it and he sees that there's one left over. And so he goes to Vlad and he's like, oh, my God, all my gold is returned to me. But I did have this one extra that was returned to me. Vlad was like, yes, we caught the thief and thank you for your honesty because if you didn't tell me that you had that one extra, you would have been impaled. <gasps> so he's like that kind of guy, you know? Yeah. And he did that multiple times. He would give him like, if he didn't like their, he would ask him a question if he didn't like their answer, impaled. <laughs> it was very much like a trick uh, question kind of game for him. Um... Yeah. Thankfully, like all terrible things, it has to come to an end. Thankfully. <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> and for Vlad Dracula, the end was in his little support for his own overlord, Matthias Korinovis. Oh my god, last name. Mm-hmm. Who was the son of John Hyundai and who was the current king of Hungary. Ah. So since he had little support for this king of Hungary who had a lot of resources that Vlad needed in order to become a successful king or ruler or whatever because Wallachia on its own didn't have very many resources to fight right and you have to take into account that the army that he's fighting the Turkish army is very big powerful has a shit ton of resources so in 1462 the Turks would successfully invade Wallachia and force Vlad to flee into Transylvania through means of a secret passage, though he would leave his first wife to commit suicide after she leapt off the towers into the water of the Argus River. Oh. And if it sounds like he's a bad husband, it's because he is. (laughs) Uh, There is a story where, you know, he obviously has a fucking mistress, and this 
like surprise not surprise vlad's pretty depressed apparently like throughout his time and so the mistress would go through like crazy means to try and make him happy because she like cared about him so much she was just like in a really fucking toxic relationship with this dude right and so one week where he was like particularly depressed she would tell him like oh vlad don't worry i'm pregnant and so he'd be like, what? And so he would take her to the doctor. And when the doctor would confirm that she was, in fact, not pregnant, <laughs> he would be like, oh, OK. And then he'd take a knife and cut her from the groin <gasps> all the way up to her breasts and leave her to die. Whoa. Yeah. Ow. <laughs> Get out of your toxic relationships, please, people. <laughs> so when Vlad would go to king matthias for aid after he uh left transylvania matthias was like fuck you you're crazy and i'm gonna have you arrested and imprisoned in my royal tower which you're like okay cool until you get really like varying facts on how long he was imprisoned for oh because there are some Russian pamphlets that say, you know, he was a prisoner from 1462 until 1474. Which in the pamphlets, they say like, oh, during that time, he was able to win back the graces of Matthias. And in 1474, he would like marry a member of the royal family, which oh. is actually Matthias's sister. So I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? Okay. And he would even end up having two sons with this woman. Oh. But then when you find out that when... Vlad gets back the Wallachian throne, which he does successfully do in 1476 with the help of Prince Stefan Bathory of Transylvania. Jesus. His eldest son was 10 when that happened. Uh. So it's more likely that he was let go from the prison in 1466 rather than 1476. Holy shit. And then that's when he, like, married the sister. And so he had just been, like, living with this royal family for a while. And then when he finally got on, like, Matthias's best graces, he took the army and, like, ran. Huh. Shit. Sneak it in. don't you think for a second that during that entire time he wasn't being the creepy old Vlad the Impaler that we know and fucking love? Because you also find out in these Russian pamphlets that he would capture birds and mice while he was with this royal family and proceed to torture and mutilate them and even leave them impaled on tiny spears. Oh, my God. Yes. I'm sorry. I should have given a trigger warning. It's okay. I love miniature everything except miniature spears. spears. Okay. No, that's not the move. Don't. That's not it. Uh, And like as an adult. I know. I'm I'm like, dude, you are not a teenager. That is like (laughs) Murad Triangle shit. (laughs) The fuck? But you're a grown ass adult. Oh my God. Anywho. So now that Vlad has his precious fucking throne back. Prince Bathroy is like, okay, cool. I helped you. So now I'm going to leave. But he like unknowingly, I think, leaves him in a pretty vulnerable uh, position because Vlad doesn't have an army. Like he literally just became king. I don't think he has anyone really on his side. 
So when a large Turkish army enters Wallachia, you know, Vlad has no other choice but to fight them with less than 4,000 men. And this is the end the beginning of his demise because as soon as he begins the battle Vlad would end up ultimately being killed against the Turks in a town uh, near Bucharest in December of 1476 how he died though really varies there was one story that I read that he was actually like about to win the battle but at the last moment his men turned against him and assassinated him Huh. There's also another story I read that says, you know, uh, he fell in a hero's defeat, I guess, with like all of his men surrounding him. And then there's the last story, which I want to believe the most, <laughs> is that he was accidentally struck down by one of his men at the moment of victory, which just is, uh. seems like the right way for him to go. <laughs> but either way... What can be confirmed is that his body was decapitated by the Turks and his head would be sent to Constantinople, where the sultan, in a kind of twisted way of fate, would display Vlad Dracula's head on his own stake with proof that the horrible impaler was finally dead. Hell yeah. As for the rest of his body, it is said to be buried at uh, Snagov, which is an island monastery located near Bucharest. And the rest is pretty much history up until the late 1800s when we get our tale of Dracula by, what's his name? Bram Stroker's Dracula. Dracula. Heck yeah. Yeah. Really fucked up moment in history, but there it is. Okay, I was just making sure you're done. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I would say something to the hundreds of thousands of people that died. (laughs) I cannot, unfortunately, go through every individual one. But I'm sure that they were loved and terribly missed. Fuck yeah. I I knew Dracula was based on a true human, but I, like, forgot some details or I didn't know a lot of um, some of the graphic details of his impaling. So thank you. Yeah, I did know about the long road of impaled humans. That was about it. But once I got into the details, damn, I kind of wish I didn't. But now that I did, everyone else has to. But yeah, this is why we got to be thankful that we are born in the century that we're born in and that we have the internet. And now (laughs) I more than ever believe in American Horror Stories' new conspiracy with the fucking aliens because I don't... How did we come from that to this? I don't know. Yeah, cheers to uh, our unexplainable technology. I'm just kidding. It's probably all explainable, but whatever. Cheers to aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Until next time, we're coming back at you with Sarah's story. And yeah, be sure to follow us on all the latest and greatest for the newest info. (laughs) (laughs) Twitter. uh, Oh, my God. Whatever. Go to the next episode if if, if you want to follow all of them at R.A.R.W. Podcast. And always be (laughs) sure to send us an email. Red rum and red wine at, oh, podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. See you Friday. Yay! Ah! <laughs> oh.
Oh my god, I am gonna be seeing you Friday.